Hi, my name is Brandon Krieger, and in today's Daily Cyber, I get to the amazing opportunity to interview Jason Nicolai. Uh, we've been going back and forth for a little bit trying to get uh, an interview on the t on the books, and today we've got it. So I'm really excited to be able to interview him. Uh, Jason is the COO, Chief Operation Officer of Pulsar Security. Uh, he has been extremely fortunate in in that he he's had a good bit of luck along the way in his career. He did not study uh, computer science or really have his, his sights on a technical career, but ended up in, in, at a small software and service uh, company, which allowed him to move away from the business development and pursue a budding uh, obsession with technology and security. From there, he spent some time in network and min uh, development, uh, pre-sales engineering, and eventually penetration testing where he found his home. Jason has since been able to earn a handful of certifications, including uh, GSE, uh, OSCE, OSCP, and others, and turns his attention now to enabling others as a SANS instructor, B-side organizer, uh, speaker, and founder of the nonprofit organization Tech uh, Ramp. So, Jason is a wealth of information and knowledge, especially on development in the industry of how to kind of break in. Also, what's going on with pen testing and cybersecurity in that field too. So this is going to be a really good interest, uh, interview when it comes to just really understanding development in the industry, what you need to do, some tips, some tricks, uh, as well as just mindset and strategy. And just really kind of an interesting guy to, to hear through this interview. So grab a coffee, grab a tea, and let's hack at it. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, USADO. USADO is a Canadian-based cybersecurity company that provides 24-7 cybersecurity support and compliance service that align their customers' tolerance for risk, their clients, suppliers, and government contractual mandates. USADO's teams focus on using insights to drive business decisions. There's no need to leave strategies to chance when insights can be used to show what changes need to be made and how to make them. USADO offers multiple services to help companies simplify IT, centralize cybersecurity management, and meet compliance standards. USADO can customize their service to work with your existing IT network and programs. For more information, contact USADO at info at uzado.com or visit their website at www.uzado.com. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Brandon. How's your day going so far? Honestly, very busy. Yeah, lots of kids stuff uh, every day to start the morning and then dig into some prep work every day, try to set aside some time just to get my head around things that are going to happen that day. And then usually on the phone talking to the people, talking to various people from, you know, start to finish. So I'm glad that it, this is, uh, you know, more social. I, I look at this as more like a social call that we're just recording <laughs> because <laughs> I enjoy talking with you so much. So um, I'm glad to fit one of these in. Just to have some fun, right? Kind of have some downtime, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So, so how are you finding it with the pandemic? Like, are you like extremely busy? Oh boy. Yeah. Um, so we're very busy. Um, business wise, it hasn't slowed down so much. We're doing okay business wise, but we've also tried to take the opportunity to develop lots of content and do things that are more public facing and engage with not even just potential customers, but just the community at large. So I find that I'm as busy with the normal business stuff and then significantly more busy with things that are public facing in terms of media and content and outreach to the general community. 
So now your outreach, is it specifically about like helping people uh, in different areas of cybersecurity? Because I know we talked offline about, you know, your education and helping people break right. into the industry, but are you also helping companies understand the landscape? Yeah. So one of the things that we're actually just getting ready to launch is a is a program that is, we call it Neighborhood Watch. Okay. And what we want to do is just make it very, very easy for businesses in our local community and even beyond to just talk to somebody who knows what they're doing from a cybersecurity perspective. Maybe you have technical staff, maybe you have a cybersecurity staff, maybe you don't. Maybe you're an accounting firm that's mom and pop that's been around for 30 years and it's just you and five people that are you know, doing accounting and you have questions that you want to run by people. We want to make it very, very easy for you to do that. So we're setting up a calendar that you can just go schedule a meeting. There's no sales. We're not trying to make money off of you. It's just, hey, I'm seeing this. I need help with this. What do you think? Um, so we're definitely trying to do more things that are designed just to help people that are in need um, from a business perspective. But then from a personal perspective, I want to do as much as I can to help people get into the industry because I think that there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot more opportunity for people to actualize by maybe moving up in their careers or moving into an industry that they're interested in, but haven't had the opportunity before. And also people who are looking for new jobs because of all the you know unfortunate changes that have happened in the economy over the last three or four months. So um, it's something that I've always felt very strongly about, given that I have what I'd consider to be kind of a non-standard background and, and journey into technology and security. Uh, but especially now where you know people need as much help as they can get. Uh, so it, it's good. I get to do it at my day job. And then, you know, it's a personal project for me on the side as well. So I want to actually dive a little bit deeper into that uh, just in a little bit. But I want to ask you, like, from your calls when you're talking with companies, is there any specific area, you know, because we got business owners that are watching this, that mm -hmm. is something they need to focus on that you're hearing the same conversation? Is it compliance? Is it, you know, SIM? Like, what are you kind of hearing the same kind of conversation right now through this pandemic? Yeah. So specifically for the pandemic, I think um, it's it's related to phishing. I think that a lot of what we've had conversations with people out in the real world about are the the real increase in the number of just drive-by attempts to get access to any organization that is willing to click on something about you know economic stimulus or you know healthcare issues related to coronavirus and the, the just sheer volume of things that are coming into organizations now right. um, has just really increased because the, the attackers from a phishing perspective, what they're really trying to do is tap into human nature as much as they can. So do you, are you somebody who wants to help? Are you somebody who's scared? Are you somebody who's fearful and doesn't know where their next, uh, their next paycheck is going to come from? Are you worried about getting sick or those kinds of things? Those are things that attackers can play on to get you to open things you know you shouldn't open, click on things you know you shouldn't click on. So just the volume that we're seeing uh, from that perspective is, is really, really high. And we're having a lot of conversations about that. Which is good. It's a good point to bring up because you've got the COVID-19 crisis and the pandemic. You've got Black Lives Matter, matter right. the, the protests mm -hmm. and everything. So all of these are very important and I don't want to negate them. They're all important topics, but mm -hmm. these criminals or hackers are taking advantage of them and sending, like you said, yep. phishing one around all and sensationalized. It's clickbait, right? Of course. Yep. Right. Oh my God. Yep. You hear, do you see this cop that did this one thing, you know, right. for black lives matter. And then of course people unknowingly, maybe emotional will click on it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then and that, 
Yep, you're exactly right. That's what they're hoping. If they can tap into a subject that they know is likely to elicit an emotional response and maybe cause people to do things that they wouldn't do if they weren't so emotionally tied to the topic, then they've kind of got you hook, line, and sinker. That's that's their goal. That's what they want to do. So we've had, I, I try to be careful of hyperbole, but I think it's true that we've had so many of those kinds of events just this year alone and even just in the last four months that it's kind of like a, a golden age of phishing and, and uh, you know, um, illegal criminal hacker activity online. Well, I think in, in my opinion is that the landscapes change because if you're an internal to a company, they had these monitoring tools and phishing, you know, right. filters that would help to prevent, but now they're yeah. at home. Right. Right. That's another, another great point. Yeah. Right. They're at home. The landscape's changed. They might be tech checking their Gmail account or, you know, Outlook account on their work PC because they're doing both yeah, at the same course. time and then they're getting compromised. So having this phishing conversation, cybersecurity awareness, right. I think is, like you said, I think is very essential. Of course. Yeah. And we've, we've had a lot of conversations about that too, where, you know, it's not that people haven't been working from home for the last 10 years plus they have, it's just that the concentration and numbers are obviously so drastically increased now. Um, I think about companies that build like kiosks and put them in malls and shopping centers and beaches and things like that. Those are out in the world. They're so difficult to protect because people have physical access to them at all times and, and, and they're not within your walled enclave. Now imagine that your, all of your employees are subject to the same conditions as a kiosk that gets deployed out in the world, right? So maybe you're doing the right things and you have a VPN and you're doing monitoring and user behavior analytics and, you know, you have a patch management program, you're using red teams and all these things, but somebody's home network gets compromised and then uh, somebody pivots through their home network into a work machine that they have legitimate access to your corporate environment through what are you doing to try to detect that kind of a thing, right? They, that live off the land, legitimate use kind of thing. So right. um, it, it's creating a lot, of, a lot of circumstances that I'm not sure the average organization was equipped to deal with. Um, but hopefully if there's something good that comes out of all this, I think that organizations have to do more to help their employees secure their own stuff because it's just because you decide that your responsibility ends at your firewall doesn't actually mean that that's true. Right. Um, so the average organization becomes more secure by educating and securing their users and their workforce. So I, I, I hope that that's something that we see comes as, as a result of all this. Now, I've been actually taking that one step further from my conversations is I'm actually asking them to educate their family yeah. and the people in the household. Because what happens is the exact point you said, what if little B Billy or little Jimmy or Joanne right. in the household has an iPad and clicks on something? Right. Now that malware might be in the internal network. That's true. Yep. And, and then because that, you know, ISP or network modem, whatever they've had set up is all connected. Now that right. person, that malware is going around, around the network. And now right. they have legitimate access. Like you said, they get to the work PC. They have direct VPN encrypted access into the network. But Right. Especially if you're somebody who is subject to spear phishing type techniques where you are a person of interest. Maybe you work on a code base for a well-known organization or you are an executive at a well-known organization and somebody might actually specifically mm -hmm. target you. Um, there is lots of incentive for you to try to transfer as much of that protection and knowledge away from just corporate resources and to anything that even tangentially connects with whatever your asset or employee is. Because 
they are they will sit down and look at how do I compromise this person specifically and all of the things surrounding that person are legitimate vectors. Um, so you have to be careful about bringing people's kids and things like that in the conversation. But just because you're uncomfortable talking about it doesn't mean that it's in a, something that an attacker is going to ignore. It's more likely that it's something that they actually will try to leverage. Well, and this is the kind of conversation I was telling you, I was doing just another podcast with uh, another expert and we were saying that, Hackers have no rules. Right. They have no rules. Right. There's no guidelines. There's no, no oh, we will not do this. We have a line. Yeah. Right. They will do whatever they need to do to get in. Yeah. That's why I love scoping conversations because it usually starts with, um, you know, what do they not want us to look at and what rules do they want us to follow and what's, you know, what's in, what's out. And it's like, okay, we can, we can set this up as much as we want. And there are lots of really valuable ways to do that. But we have to reflect and recognize that, a legitimate attacker in the real world is not going to be subject to all of these rules that we're implementing. Right. Um, and where attacks are or maybe are not likely, you have to recognize and say, this is something that someone in the real world could do that we weren't allowed to during the course of this engagement based on the, the rules of engagement and the scope. For sure. And I think that yeah. where, and I was talking to the other guy and I'll, I'll use that reference here is that you kind of almost have one hand to hide, tied behind your back, right? Yeah, of course. Yep. 100%. Right? So you're kind of trying to help them and secure it. But, oh, by the way, that legacy system, you can't touch that, right? That Windows yeah, 3.1 right. system that's <laughs> underneath someone's desk that still has access to the network. You can't touch that because it yeah. has a legacy application on it, but you're like, right. that's right. where they're going to go. They're literally going to go to that one. Of course. And we hear it a lot when we bring up um, like denial of service. Like, do we want to test for the ability for someone to cause harm to your business by implementing a denial of service condition? It's like, well, this machine is directly responsible for $1.2 million a day of revenue. So, you know, we're going to leave that out of scope. It's like, okay, but that, that actually to me is um, a reason why you want to test whether or not somebody could bring it down from the outside or the inside because you are going to lose them right. $1.2 million a day in revenue if somebody's able to. So maybe we can take that production system and implement it in a development environment and see what we could do there. Right. Um, but a lot of times that, you know, it's just a walled conversation. It's like, this is in, this is out. And if you're not willing to at least explore the gray area and get creative about ways that you can move forward, then you lose a lot of business value and potential business value for your clients. Right. And that, and as you were talking about, that's the golden egg. Yeah, of course. If you know, right. if you know on the other side, cause you have that mindset, yeah. if I'm an outside hacker, whatever that means, I'm looking at something and that's the golden egg. I'm going to yeah. go for that. Like right. you right. could, yeah. you, you could test the database that has our marketing material. That doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Like I'm going to go for the, much. I'm going to yeah. go for the golden egg. Yeah. Our, our clients that we work with regularly are used to it, but especially working with new clients, it's like, well, what don't you want us to touch and what's, what's kind of out of scope and, and what are you really worried about? And what are the things that, you know, you'd get an ulcer if we said we were interacting with it in the engagement. And I'm actually collecting that information to understand what, what do they actually value and what is it that they actually view as critical in the organization. And then I usually pivot it to suggesting that, you know, maybe we're not starting with this stuff and we can, you know, work with each other and, and get to that point. But at some point, we're probably going to want to look at these things because what you're saying now suggests that these are your, your actual critical business assets that you know, keep you up at night, that if somebody really wanted to cause harm to you, these are the things that they would look at. And I think that's important to, to point out. I mean, people that are listening to this and watch that is that 
when someone like yourself as an expert comes in and starts to advise you, you know what, we need to look at this, mm-hmm. take that as that's now gone up in your priority of risk. Sure. Right? Yeah. Especially where, um, you know, I'm used to having these conversations and and have seen lots of different things with different customers where uh, the things that they're worried about might not be the things that the average organization would consider or think of without that experience and background. So for example, maybe you're a media company and domain admin and active directory isn't actually the thing that would, you know, most keep you up at night, but it's, does somebody have the ability to manipulate the media that we would put in front of eyeballs and put something on there that we absolutely would not want millions of people to see. And if they did, it would cause significant harm to our brand. Um, It's like, okay, you know, I think that the, the juicy center here of this test should be your brand assets and, and, you know, your, maybe your media files, if you, if you create videos or you create, uh, you know, commercials or something like that, that's where the real value is. So the thing that we should test is whether or not somebody, whether outside or inside can manipulate those things so that when you go live with them, uh, you know, what's in there and you're not putting things in front of people that you don't want them to see. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true because I think when security, sometimes we live in kind of different silos. Well, for sure. Security, security, technically, technically, but they don't realize a lot of times and have that discussion about brand equity. Yes. That's, that's the whole game. You, Exactly. Yeah. If you get compromised or something happens, the relationship to your client is now affected. Of course. Yeah. Right. Cause now they don't trust you. Right. And I don't, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, customer databases and, you know, admin and active directory and, and networking infrastructure, like that is a large component of every engagement in every organization, but you want to be able to take it a step beyond that and say, assume that we or an attacker were able to gain control of those things what are the the second and third steps that we could take after that to cause real harm to your business? Like I remember there was a story maybe, maybe six months ago, but the, the pandemic has really warped my sense of time. It might even have been like a year ago. I don't know. Um, <laughs> when there were all these sports teams that had their social media accounts taken over. And I think it was just because the, the marketing teams that were managing like the Twitter account, for example, were reusing credentials that had been breached somewhere. Right. So there were people that were just logging in all over and posting all kinds of things. Um, that's bad. And if, you, you know, depending on what your business is, that might be worse for you than some other businesses. But especially now, imagine some of the topics that are really um, prevalent in media today. Mm-hmm. If someone got access to your social media account as a, your corporate social media account and started saying certain things, there are things that they could say that would cause real harm to your brand. Right. Um, so, you know, maybe domain admin is great. Maybe customer database is, is, you know, something that we want to get access to, but do we want to talk about whether or not people can get access to your social media accounts and what they might be able to do to harm your business if they did get access to those things? Um, those conversations are sometimes more difficult with newer clients, but I think it's where we always want to push our clients to is like what's actually valuable to you and let's go and create a simulation where we pose as whatever the threat is and determine if we can make those things happen and then all let's all get together and game plan how we can mitigate that right and look at remediation which is so important right right, right. absolutely yeah so that's great. I mean, I think that's a good starting point for people to start to look at, like you said, cybersecurity awareness, right. right? Looking at kind of phishing attacks and 
really educating their community and, and looking at prevention measures. And then just understanding right now, and this is why it's great that you talked about, you know, penetration testing, kind of looking at that is reevaluating your landscape. Of course. Right. Reevaluating re kind of because now everything's changed doing a vulnerability test, a gap analysis, a breach assessment, even a pen test, just to see where where your vulnerabilities are and where's the gap so you can kind of look at remediation. So mm -hmm. I think there's a great areas to start with. Yeah. And I want, I want to kind of transition because I know one of your expertise is talking about the industry and helping people get into and break into the industry. Sure. Yeah. So I know, I don't know about yourself and I would assume that you probably get like weekly people asking you, hey, I want to be in cybersecurity. What do I do? Right? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, often. how do you right. answer that question? So I, I generally try to start off with like, what makes you think that you, you want to work in cybersecurity? What are the things about it that uh, are appealing to you? Some people say it's the money. Some people it's just, you know, they hear numbers about, um, you know, hundred percent job opportunity and you know, there's a real shortage and they want to go where the opportunities are. And, and it's not that you want to dissuade those people. It's that you want to give them an accurate view of what they're getting themselves into. Because I think that you have to, in an ideal world, start with, well, what are you really passionate about? What do you, what would you do anyway? Like even in your spare time, if it weren't your primary job, because if you can find a day-to-day -day job role that speaks to the things that you would really enjoy doing, even in your spare time, then I, I think that your likelihood for success just right. increases astronomically. So I, I try to tease out, you know, is it, is it about curiosity? Is it about like the challenge of it and wanting to deal with uh, different phases of technology and, and really discover the way the world works? So for example, I can't count how many people I've talked to that had no technical experience and they learned that the internet is all just text. Okay. And that when you go to a web page, it's just text. Right. And it's just that your browser knows how to display that text to you in a way that looks like something else. Right. That's so that it's not just text. And not only that, but you can manipulate that text in your browser so that it looks different for you than it would look for anybody else. Right. Um, and you know, there are a lot of people who learn that. And then some people, when they see it, it's like a light bulb goes off and it's like, Oh, wait a minute, this seems magical and it's really cool. But in reality, there are people that just decided how this was going to work and they made it. And now, you know, billions of people use it every day. And it's the foundation of everything technologically from, you know, from here on out. And, and you look for people that kind of have that spark when they peek behind the veil a little bit, when they see that Oz is just a little guy <laughs> with a megaphone standing on a couple right. crates behind a curtain. Right. And it's like, and for some people that's, um, not, not demoralizing, but it's, it's like stressful and it's like the weight of it. Like I have to learn everything, how everything works and none of it's going to make sense until I do. But then for other people, it's just like, Oh, this is really cool. There's, I don't understand it all yet, but it's not magic and there's a way that it works and you can learn that. And once you learn it, you can manipulate it and have right. it do what you want it to do. Um, so I, re I really try to find people that have that like spark of curiosity um, and encourage people to to find it, whether it's in coding or whether it's in security or whether it's in project management, which is super important in our field and um, or communications or, or whatever it ends up being. Are, are you starting with that first? Um, and I think that it, that's a great recipe for success. And it doesn't have to be in technology. It's just that it, it just so happens that I can help people the most if if that happens to be. Um, where they find it in technology. Now, don't you think it's a key aspect to have 
some sort of passion in an area of cybersecurity. And I'm narrowing that down to cybersecurity, but yeah. some domain, some specific area. So I think that event, it's hard to have that in the beginning. I think that you learn that maybe as you go. Um, I'm still trying to figure out if it's more valuable or less valuable to have people start immediately with things that are cybersecurity specific. And what I mean by that is, it's really hard to start as a pen tester. It's really hard to start in incident response. It's really hard to start in threat intelligence. And the reason is because as a pen tester, for example, I have to go into lots of different environments and see lots of different technology. And maybe I've seen it before, maybe I haven't. Maybe I have to research it and figure out how to use it. But there's a certain baseline and foundation level of understanding that allows a pen tester to go into an environment and say, maybe I don't know all of it, but I know enough to figure it out and figure out how I can use it to my advantage. If you don't understand basic networking, if you don't know how TCP works and you don't know how ARP works, like, like it's hard, hard to do ARP cache poisoning. It's hard to understand it if you don't understand ARP mm -hmm. and if you don't understand how routing works and like your, your local area network versus something that goes through the router and then out to the public internet. So I personally think that, right. I, th I think this is what I think. I'm really trying to figure it out because it, it, I think the industry is transitioning away from this, but I personally think that starting with more general technology and especially networking because everything is a web app now, right? Even the apps on your phone, light bulbs, toilets, you know, it's all networking. So, so I think that starting with that foundation is a, is a really valuable experience. And if you can learn some networking, you can learn a little bit of coding, you can do some sysadmin, then you're really set up to have great success in other areas of technology, including right. cybersecurity specific roles. Because, hmm. yeah, because from my point of view is like, and I, I agree with you the point where I think they have to have a foundation. If it, it's what well, the analogy I was taught was blue team, right? Learn how to set things up, mm -hmm. whatever that may be, right? Sure. If it's networks, if it's servers, if it's databases, start with that, learn mm -hmm. how to set them up and then learn how to harden them and then transition over to it, right? And yeah, I, I find that on the technical side, that's the be better way to go. Cause like you said, you have a foundation of kind of what people are trying to break into, right? So you know how it works, you know how it's right. set up, you know how sometimes even setting it up, you know how sometimes the defaults, right? I remember with SQL, it was like SQL uh, server. Sometimes it was set to the default admin admin. So you knew right there that if it wasn't set up or yeah, hardened right. properly, potentially the admin account had a password, a username and password of admin admin. So try that. If you got in, sure. you're like, oh yep. my God. Bob's your uncle, right. but at least you knew because you worked with it, right? Yeah. I think the other thing that it does is it gives you some insight into the mind of someone in the workload of someone who has to go in and configure and manage all of these things. So I, I have a, a decent amount of experience as a pre-sales engineer and doing implementations of software with lots of different customers. And I know that we would set things up often in testing, like, uh, well, let's just leave the share totally wide open so that we can see if it's the firewall or see if it's this user, or you set up a, uh, an insecure service account with a bad password. Oh, it's just a test or whatever. And then I'd go into that same customer's environment a year later to do you know, an expansion or upgrade or something like that. And they would have the same share and the same user account configured, right? So that experience, just in my personal way that I work through an environment, I know that I can look for things that 
are easy for an administrator to do to get something to work now right. uh, that they likely left in place for long periods of time afterward. And, and that's why something like password reuse is so rampant, right? right. So if, if you don't have that experience ahead of time, or at least enough experience with it to understand the mind and the real burden of people that have to manage and configure and implement this stuff in, in large environments, uh, it's, it's hard to find where the pain points are going to be. Right. And that's why I think I agree with you. I think that if you're someone that's technical and like, let's say you're coming from a completely different industry, not like help desk, site services, ser admin support, server support, whatever that may be, but you're coming in from construction, right? And then you're coming mm -hmm. that, I think that would be the better route is to work on a kind of the first technical rule of setting things up and then you'll sure. transition over to security. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's differences of that where if you go into sales or if you mm -hmm. go into project management, you might not necessarily need that. But if you're going to a pure technical right. role, I would, I would recommend that people go onto the technical side of setting things up first and then transition over to like a more, you know, pen testing, you know, securing, hardening, things like that. Cause at least you know how things are worked. And like right. I said, day to day operations, like, how much time do you have? Like, what does it really take to set up a server, an active directory, right? You, some people <laughs> right. might think, oh yeah, it just yeah. takes two hours. Right. It's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Especially if you have, uh, if you're in a role where you have to configure and manage and implement and also support users. Um, so people are having problems in an environment and you have to service all of that stuff as well as, you know, people will come to you with their hair on fire and management needs something implemented in this other area. And you also have to secure and configure Active Directory and email and VPN and all of these other things. So um, I think you're 100% right. And the, the people performing those jobs typically have a lot on their plate. And um, you can learn a lot in a short amount of time doing it. And then they have windows, like something that we didn't bring up or discuss is change management. A lot of, these of a lot of these times are in change management window. It's not in you know, production time. It's after hours on the weekends mm -hmm. and they have a certain amount of time they can do it. So there's actually a timeline too. It's not something that where they have right. all the time in the world. It's literally, right. we've tested, we've got it up, but we have four hours to roll this out and make sure it's up and going and working. Right. And then, you know, we have a backout plan. Like it's all these things that on that side, you start to learn. And like you said, and then if you're mm -hmm. on the security side, you know that if they've only, they only had four hours to roll that right. out, what, what mistakes could they have made? You know, what were their outs? Were they pushing out at the same time? Right. 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 And if you're on a good team with, with people that have lots of experience or are good teachers and are patient with you, you can learn all of that stuff. It's just, there's a, it's the old age old argument about learning versus doing right. You can, you can have someone explain to you what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel, but that's not the right. same as actually going there and looking around at it. Right. So actually having to do a lot of that configuration and implementation and user support is a real crash course um, in understanding some of the things that you'll need to know to be good in areas of security, whether it's pen testing or, you know, incident response or whatever. So now if I was, and I'm going to play the devil's advocate or just a new person. If I was going to say, look, hey, you know, Jason, I'm looking at getting the industry. What certification would you recommend I start with just to kind of get a broad spectrum? Yeah. So we at Pulsar Security have hired a, a lot of people that fit that bill. Um, for example, we within the last two and a half years, we've hired three people as security consultants, really pen testers, but do lots of other things. Um, one of them was a landscaper who was a surveyor in the military and was kind of underemployed when he got back. 
One of them was a parts guy at an auto shop. And one of them worked in software sales for a long, for like a decade, but wasn't technical. He wasn't an engineer. He was, he was a sales guy. And uh, a path that we like is we start them all off in networking. And I think there are lots of different networking courses and certifications that you can get, but just playing the business conversation. Okay. We liked Network Plus to start because it, it was a little bit more affordable. It was a little bit more self-study and um, you didn't have to invest all kinds of resources into somebody, you know, thousands of dollars and, and a year's time for them to learn something when you're really just trying to gauge still at that point, whether or not they're going to work out Um, because it's not for everybody. And it's really hard to gauge that ahead of time. So you kind of have to take a shot on someone. Um, And so we started them off with networking. I think that uh, network plus, I think it's a, it's a, it's an approachable certification for somebody to learn networking to start. Uh, It's not super expensive or at least it wasn't. I think the prices are increasing. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, we start them with Network Plus um, and then and, and more baseline security level certifications, something like a Security Plus, uh, before we get to the more expensive, comprehensive uh, certifications like SANS courses and GX certs and stuff like that. Okay. So, and, and just to go back, so people got that. So Network Plus, and you're, and you're talking kind of more for the pen testing roles? Uh, yeah. So, the, you know... I don't know that I would change it for non-pen testing roles. So that those three examples of people that I just gave you were there, they were on a pen tester track. Okay. Um, but even just people that don't have any experience with technology, I think that networking in general is just a great place to start because I, it's hard for me to imagine a role in the modern world that doesn't have networking as its foundation. Right. Okay. And it, make, and it totally makes sense. So yeah. network plus and then security plus. Yeah. Now I when people ask me, I recommend security plus, but it's good to have that network plus on top of it. I recommend security plus because it gives you that broad overview of all areas of cybersecurity. Right. So so at least at that point right. you kind of go, do I like this? Am I interested? And what what area now am I mm-hmm. really interested? Is it phishing? Is it social engineering? Is it, you know, pen testing? Right. Is it, you know, what area intrigues right. me as I'm studying? Or is it like I'm out, this is too hard. <laughs> Right. I'm done. <laughs> right. So, so those, those three guys that I mentioned, they, they all did network plus and then security plus. And I think each of them did that inside of three months, three or four months, uh, studied for and got both of those certifications. And then from there we went to something like, a uh, uh, SANS or GIAC GSEC, which is a lot like network plus in that it is very broad, but you get into very, very specific things like, um, you know, configuring Windows firewall and, you know, what is, um, you know, what's AO2.11 and, you know, there's a little bit of coding in it, a little bit. You learn about specific cybersecurity attack techniques. Um, you learn about lots of different specifics that something like Security Plus just doesn't have the breadth or time or depth to get into. Right. Um, and then the same thing with the SANS 504 course, which is, um, uh, hacker techniques, tools, and incident handling. So it's it's kind of like the next progression for us for for you to understand what are some common ways that people are actually attacking these environments. So it might be your first in- introduction to how to actually use Metasploit or something like Conboot or or lots of other techniques, as well as from an inc- incident handling perspective, what is the process by which you can detect and record the things that happen during an attack 
And then how does that happen in the average organization? So that's generally the first four and that's, that's kind of set in stone and there, you know, there's some flexibility and fluidity um, in, in the phase after that, depending on what their specific role is going to be or what, uh, what they're, they're interested in and, and what they've been good at, but it all kinds of kind of builds up to getting uh, the OSCP and then eventually having the certifications that you would need to test for something like a, a GX security expert. Okay. Okay. Which is good. I mean, OSCP is kind of the gold standard, correct? Right. Like once. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a really good one for sure. Once you get that, from my understanding, it's kind of you open the door for pen testing. Now it shows that you know your stuff. You're able to at least apply yeah. a lot of the knowledge. Right. Yeah. It's super practical from an attack perspective. So those, those three people that I just mentioned um, within the last four, not four, actually, I was going to say four months, but that would be the beginning of the pandemic. So that's not, that's not true. Uh, so it's probably like six or eight months. All three of them have gotten OSCP and this is just within a couple of years. Oh. Um, and then, so like that's pen test specific, like, can you attack a, a computer network and, you know, control systems and, and, uh, and do that kind of a thing. But we expand them out to the GX security expert after that, because it is expert level and a little bit more broad. So there's some incident handling in there. There's some pen testing in there. You have to be able to do like uh, network security monitoring, understand packet captures. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's some report writing involved to a, a level that's a little bit deeper than OSCP. So OSCP is there for like kind of the end of their pen testing path. And then um, the GSE after that for uh, a more expansive view of cybersecurity because we do a lot of pen testing, but we also uh, we have lots of customers that we implement security programs for doing like the critical security controls. We do some incident handling for uh, for a few customers and we want to really just be seen more as your security people for, for our clients, right? If you have a security need and you need an expert team to go to, then we want to be that. The vast majority of that comes in the form of red teaming. You want us to be expert level attackers to go attack your environment and help you improve it. Improve it. Um, but a really broad view of security helps us do that and helps us do a few other things as well. Okay. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about, like, you know, with all the training, the certifications you're talking about, how can you use training the skills, you know, for various disciplines? Like you got forensics, DFIR, defense, offense, like how do you use that? And especially to maximize your efficiency. So I think it's critical. So I think that once you get a, a foundational level of technology and you start to dig into the specifics of any discipline, whether you're going to be, um, you know, like a reverse engineer or a pen tester or a coder or whatever. I think there's a period of time after that where you really have to dig into what the fundamentals are of complementary disciplines, but even disciplines that seem opposing or competing. So for example, the best red teamers have a great understanding of blue team principles and um, not even just like a personal skill perspective, but how you help customers and clients you are way better served as an attacker if you understand how to defeat the attack technique or detect the attack technique and the kinds of tools and approaches that would be valuable in doing that. And uh, that's a model that I've learned from some of the best people in the industry that I really respect and have seen them employ. So I think that even if you're going to be a forensic examiner, you have to understand 
what the attack techniques are and what a red teamer is going to do in order to go detect the artifacts associated with those attack techniques. So your ability to do those things, perform those attacks only makes you better at detecting them after the fact. And if you're conversely, if you're a red teamer and you know what the artifacts that are left forensically behind by your attack techniques are, you can develop new techniques that maybe are a little bit more difficult to detect. Um, and I think that some of the most well-known and successful people in any area of cybersecurity have some mix of that. Right. It's hard though. Like I, I think that more of the meat of your question in the beginning was like, like, how do you do that? Like, how do you become an expert in everything? Like, that sounds great. How do you do it? Well, you can't. You really just, you have to be intellectually curious enough that you're going to try to pick up skills. And eventually, you're going to see that there's a little bit of a hole in your understanding. Like, okay, I really know how to run Metasploit, but I have no idea what it's doing underneath the hood. I need to learn a little bit of exploit development and see if I can custom craft these things because I'm getting detected in environments all the time okay, now you want to custom craft them, but what is it that's actually being detected in Metasploit? What are you going to custom craft? You have to get a better understanding of what the security controls and detection mechanisms from a blue team perspective are so that you can actually create something that might bypass or mitigate them. So then you start to identify that you have a hole as it relates to blue team stuff and detection and response and those kinds of things. And you can't learn it all in a day. You can't learn it all. And you can't learn it all ever. So you just, you have to keep trying to dedicate some portion of your time to continued learning and continued acquisition of skills. It's really hard to do in the wrong environment. If you're not at a company that believes in those things and creates time for it and gives you the resources that you need to really flesh yourself out from that perspective, it's really hard to do. Um, I can't, so I want to point that out. I want to point that out that for and the people that are listening to this that are looking at breaking into the industry. Of course. That's a key point that you, people have to know is that mm -mm. this is not a one and done. No. You don't get a certification and then now right. you're in cybersecurity. That's it. You're you're sky's the limits. You now have a great long career. No, it's actually consistent effort, mm -hmm. consistent learning, consistent challenging yourself. So something that people have to know when they're getting cybersecurity this is a long career of curiosity sure. and education. Yeah. I think that there are, you know, there are examples of people who want to do one specific thing and do that as long as they can. I, that, that scares me a little bit personally, just because I, I think the real value that I get out of working in this industry is being able to work with lots of different technologies, new things. And, you know, five years ago, no one was looking at Kubernetes and now it's something that it seems like everybody knows, even though that's not true. Um, so there's always opportunities to learn new things. And that's what I really value. One of the things I really value about my role personally, but if you're not interested in those things and you want to kind of settle and just do one thing for as long as you can, maybe it's, you know, a, a pen testing role isn't the thing for you. And maybe, you know, well, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there. Cybersecurity is not for <laughs> it you. Might, it might not be. I was trying to be more permissive, well, but you might be right. Well, the reason why, is, and here's, let's put the point there. And I want people to really get that point home is because look at the pandemic. Look how the landscape completely flipped overnight within like 24 to 40 hours for majority of companies right. going from on-prem you know, storage to cloud solutions to VPN right. to it's stuff that these guys are experts in maybe on on-prem and had to learn cloud overnight. 
but they right. are willing to do that. And that's what they love. And that's their job and position. The guys that didn't want to do it suffered. People got laid off, things right. along that line. Like, mm -hmm. and it's just, you have to understand that going in that it's, it's the ones that do the constant learning and evolution are the ones going to have a long, beautiful mm -hmm. career, very abundant. The ones For that sure. don't, yep. your technology is going to change from like machine learning and AI technology. Look how like that's coming into the industry where maybe in, right, you know, say the 2000s, early 2000s, you know, we're kind of talking about AI, but it wasn't really kind of prevalent like it is now. Like, it's it's part of the solution. So right, we're always sure. evolving and it changes so quickly. Yeah. And, and if you really subscribe to that and you're willing to double down on it, you can have a nice long career built not off of any specific knowledge for any specific technology, but more on your general ability to acquire new information mm -hmm. and quickly incorporate that into your working skill set. And you get, you know, deeper in some areas and more shallow in others. And it's not that every five years, all of your knowledge recycles. So you get to reuse lots of what you've done and what you've learned. But if it, I, I agree with you, if press that, you know, if I were to generally subscribe to one skill set that is more valuable than maybe the rest, it's that you know, can you do research and can you quickly incorporate that into your working mm -hmm. skill set? And is that what enables you? Is that why you do it? If you are willing to do that regularly, you know, from here on out, you're going to have a nice long career pretty much in anything related to cybersecurity. And if, if that, if that gives you a little bit of anxiety, um, you know, that's okay. But uh, if it's something that you're unwilling to do, then it, it might be that this field isn't for you. Yeah. And I think that has to be drawn out because I think people are hearing the HR people and recruiters that there's such a shortage. You can make so much money. Yeah. So people are attracted to that, not realizing the flip side of the coin is, yeah, the shortage is because it's a hard career to get yeah, really good experts, sure. take some time, a lot of sweat equity of these guys, not only just getting education, but applied knowledge to be able to right. do it in real world situations. And it's pressure. Like, at the end of the day, for sure. you know, if something goes wrong, they're looking at you. What, how, you know, yeah, how did we right. get breached? Right. You know, and the pressure's all on you. And, you know, you're in a room, a boardroom, a meeting room, and they're going, okay, Jason, you know, you're the one who set this up. <laughs> Why did we get breached? What's going on? How fast are you going to remain this? You know, we're down right now. We're losing tens of thousands of dollars per minute, you know, because of e-commerce. Right. How fast are you going to get up? And you've got to be able to be passionate about going, right. I'm on it versus, Oh my God, where's the door? I'm out of here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there, there is a, certainly a component of that for various roles. And I think that if you're, you're somebody who wants to learn a lot and you want to prioritize learning and not just learning for learning's sake, but real, the real necessity to use that knowledge um, in your day-to-day -day role, then I think there are lots of things in cybersecurity that, mm -hmm. uh, that are kind of tailor-made for you. I think one of the problems that we have as a society in the Western world specifically, but um, you know, throughout the rest of the world as well, is that we're not doing a great job of taking people who would do really well in that kind of a world where you have to learn and you have to apply and you have to have critical thinking and you have to be creative and you, you need the ability to communicate and collaborate and all of those things. I don't know that we're doing a great job of highlighting and giving opportunities to people who might check all of those boxes, but don't come from cookie cutter backgrounds. So 
So let yeah. me ask you about that. Sure. Like, let's kind of dive a little bit deeper in that. So where would I find that person? Like, I mean, from a non-traditional <laughs> IT, like you were born with a computer yeah. in your in your crib and you wake up, you start Python programming, right. and then by the time you're 15, you've already hacked some company and now you work as a, a pen tester. Yeah. Like, if that's not your path and you're something else, where are you finding these non-traditional people? So if if we come up with an answer to that in the next few minutes, let's kill the recording and we'll start a recruiting agency. Okay, okay. And we'll become we'll become billionaires. Th- there, there um, you go. So I, th- I think it's a it's it's a deeper answer, and it's more about what are we doing to try to identify the things about the common threads from people who have been successful in this field, mm-hmm. and how can we take that background and go and find those people proactively before they end up doing something else, regardless of where they come from. So I host a, a podcast for GX certifications called Trust Me, I'm Certified. And we dig into the backgrounds and techniques and advice of people who have been successful in, uh, in cybersecurity. And that's one of the things I always like to start with is like, you know, you're successful now and maybe it always seemed that way, maybe it didn't. But when you look back at your younger life and you know education and earlier jobs or whatever, what are the things that mattered all along the way? Like, how far can you trace that back? Because, like, for me, I, I've during the pandemic, I recently started collecting like all the video games I've ever had as a kid. Right. Okay. And yeah, um, so I got a one of the first ones I remember getting was a Sega Genesis when I was like really young. And there's this port. If you pull it open on the side, there's a port for expansion and and for for testing and things like that. And I know what it is now because like you know I do this stuff now. But yeah. when I was a kid, I just remember opening it, looking at it, and thinking like, "What is this for? Like, what might it be for?" Like, and just playing with it and trying to take it apart and splicing wires. And and we lost a power source. And I was like opening it up and connecting other things. But I didn't know that I should work in technology or security until I was in like. I was like 24 by the time I even thought like I should try to, you know, feed that curiosity in a technical role that allows me to do that. Right. Um, so how do we go back and find those things in kids in middle school and in high school and even college or beyond? Like maybe you're an adult that is underemployed or you're like a working single parent and you're just trying to do what you have to do to, to, to make money? Like, how do we go find those people with that curiosity and whether they know technology or not and give them an opportunity to go, you know, be really great in a field that rewards the intangible things that they have. I don't know that I have a great answer unless we can identify like genetically, um, you know, and we can just start go testing people for, for this stuff. But um, I think that we have to start looking uh, maybe a little earlier and maybe in, some corners of society that we're not used to, to looking at. So um, more like impoverished areas and, and inner cities and people like, like we're a couple of white guys talking on this podcast, but we, we have to do more than just look for, for white guys that need to end up working in technology because it's, it's becoming better. Um, I hope, but um, I don't believe that the, you know, the disproportionate nature of, of the the types of demographics that are finding success in technical roles is representative of the fact that those demographics are just better naturally. It's not that at all. It's just that society is set up in such a way that, um, you know, I, you know, we're getting the jobs and the opportunities and other people aren't. So I think that we as 
what, regardless of who you are, where you came from, if you have found some success and you have some kind of a platform, I think that you have a duty to use some of that to try to enable others that maybe don't have a platform yet okay, and maybe haven't had the same opportunities that, that you've had in trying to break into technology or any other role, whether it's, you know, government, finance, management, whatever. Um, I think that's a big part of it is people who have had success um, maybe through their, their luck and effort, or maybe just through, you know, the way that society set up. I think that part of it is starting to use that platform and that success to try to enable others who maybe haven't had the same luck um, or just luck of the draw, I guess, in societal circumstance as you've had. See, and my, my point of view is this and, you know, going back and I know there's a, you know, a very hot topic right now with black lives matter and kind of all that. Mm -hmm. I think it's more actions versus, you know, color of your skin, right. And what's going on, because I mean, you look at, you know, when I was growing up, the stereotypical, you know, in, in, uh, Indians from Pakistan, you know, in Chinese people are always good at computers, right? That was the stereotype, right? They must be good at computers, right? And it was a stereotype. It was, you know, ignorance, but it was the resilience. And I go back down to this. It was their actions, right? Their resilience to educate, to focus on it, to have their bigger why made them more successful in those areas because they were more driven, right? They're more driven in those areas to be successful. So, and I'll use this as, you know, my experience when growing up in a multicultural environment where you see the kids that had to go home for school and do their homework and then play the piano and, you know, they weren't able to go out until like seven o'clock until everything was done. We're more successful because they had that resilience of mm -hmm. striving for success, where for me at a younger age, I was going to play mm -hmm. games. I was playing soccer. So it took me longer to be successful and get that mindset that I had to do that, you know, due diligence. I had to study. I had to do all that. So I think one of the, the characteristics is finding that big why and then finding that drive. If they have that drive that they will make that their number one key thing to do, that's that's valuable. And anyone that you see that's successful, doesn't matter right. purple, green, whatever color they are, those are the guys successful because they don't stop. They're so resilient that I'm going to do this no matter what anyone says, what anyone does, I'm going to make this happen. Right. And they're studying. And if they can't go to the, you know, the, you know, Ivy League schools, they'll go study books and they'll learn on their own. They'll go to the library with a library card and they'll study on their own and they'll make it right. happen and they'll apply their knowledge. And then it, from there, it's the soft skills. It's being able to articulate it and sell it and be able to educate the person across the table why you're a value versus it's about me. And I think. Once those two skills or those two kind of characteristics are are driven, that's what makes people successful. Because at the other end is if you can sh you know the knowledge and then you can educate someone about your knowledge about your value, that's intangible, right? That's where like I've been in meetings and I've seen that where a guy would say, "I know this," and let me show you and explain to you how I know right. that, and you see people in the room go, "I get it, I understand, I know you know this." Like there's no question about. It. And that's right. a value. And like, and like I said, it doesn't matter blue, green, whatever color, right. unicorn, doesn't matter. When they could do that, that was like, you know, that asset that they had. And then doesn't matter what, if you could say Python programmers, cybersecurity, pen tester, whatever that may be, that skill they learned, that was now their kind of vehicle that they were running with, but they had those tangible skills. 
Yeah, I think that what you do personally and how much you're willing to put into it always matters. I think that what is maybe at odds is whether or not everyone is put into the same position for that work to matter enough. So I'm I'm not going to attribute the quote well, but one of the, the quotes that kind of made me start to really understand it is do twice as much work to get half as far. And I think that there are a lot of populations in um, the American world and in across the, the rest of the world as well, where you can do twice as much work and still get half as far as still as someone who's doing half as much work and is likely to get twice as far. So I think that um, as a, a, a white guy in the U.S., I, I have been put into a position where um, I haven't had to work as hard for some of the things that that I've wanted to have in the world as somebody else who might be from a more marginalized population would have to work to get to the same spot. So I think that there are lots of people who, you know, create structure for their kids and say, you're going to get your homework done and you're going to, you know, you're going to play piano and, and, you know, we're going to do what we have to do to try to get you um, onto, you know, a, a great school and a great career and all of those things. But I don't think that the value that you get, out of the other side of it is always exactly the same because there are some systemic issues in the way that um, our societies have been set up. And I think that I at least feel a personal responsibility to try to do what I can with whatever success or or platform I I have or will be able to get in order to try to extend those same opportunities to people who may not have had them as readily available to them as I have by, by no luck of my own. And I think a, a, a major part of that is, is socioeconomic and, and racial and, and um, you know, class structure and those kinds of things. But another part of it is just like, how do you communicate and how, how do you work through things and what are you naturally good at? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I, I'm just naturally good at test taking. I, I study a lot to try to be better at it, but it's just one thing that I was naturally good at and just born with through no, through nothing that I really did, just like kind of genetic luck of the draw. Um, and so much of our education, especially for kids, but even mm. in a field like cybersecurity with certifications and things like that, like, like if you're good at test taking and you're naturally good at speaking, it's going to be easier for you to get by in the world than it is for somebody who's not naturally good enough at those things. And in my early twenties, especially like, I don't know that I looked at this as like a problem. I think it was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good at it. And other people aren't, but as I've gotten older and really thought about it, it's like, well, does that mean that I produce things of more value than other people? Like wh- why are we highlighting these things over other mm-hmm. things that people might be good at? And it's, that line of thinking really got me to think like, no, it doesn't mean that I'm producing more value. It just means that I'm better mm-hmm. maybe naturally at test taking and maybe at being persuasive with speech than someone else might be. But they can still do great work and produce great things and produce lots of value at or even beyond my capabilities. So why as a society are we accentuating those things and defaulting to, well, if you're good at taking tests and good at advocating for yourself through uh, written or, or speech, what, like, why are we highlighting those things above other things that people might be good at, like more, um, 
like you know, empathetic um, forms of communication and more collaborative team building and, and, and um, you know, people who are really great at doing things, but just not good at fitting all of that knowledge into a 90 minute exam or something like that. So I think it's, it's not just the socioeconomic portion. It's not just the racial portion, but, um, but even just like what we're naturally good at and skills and, and generally more generally things that people are kind of born into and less about what they are willing to do with their opportunities. Cause there are people from, from everywhere with all different learning styles and capabilities that are willing to work hard, that are willing to do what they have to do. But I think that the, the real injustice in the world is that do going to a certain level doesn't always mean the same opportunities for all people. So I think really what I'd love to be a part of is growing more opportunities for people across the board, regardless of what you're born into, where you come from, who you are, making it so that if you are willing to put in the work, your outcomes are more a result of that rather than like luck of the draw things that you were just born into that hadn't have nothing to do with you specifically. Okay. I mean, I, I get that point. And I mean, I come from a different background than you do where sure. I'm not good at test taking. I grew up, like I said, in a multicultural environment where it was lower income, affordable housing. So I grew up with a lot of those things that people are talking about, the Black Lives Matter, you know, we're getting pulled out of a car, getting handcuffed and doing all that. I grew up in that. Like I got pulled out of my car, right. you know, with a bunch of my friends and put on a hood and, and handcuffed. Like, so I get that, you know, you're, you're at late at night, you're in the wrong area that they think police are and you do that. Like, I get that whole concept and, and the whole challenge that, that arises from that. But when it comes to career and education, I think in this day and age, you know, it comes down to what you can show and what you can prove. Doesn't matter who you are. And it becomes down to your presentation in the sense that can you articulate that you know the skills? Can you, can you, you know, tactically and dynamically sure. listen to what that person needs and then address that? Doesn't matter who you are. Like if you're saying, hey, I want to hire a pen tester, me asking questions like, what do you need in a pester? What are you looking for? Versus, you know, and having that dialogue. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to push you on this just a little bit, not, not too, not too much. So, so if, if you, if like general you, if somebody believes that that's true, that it matters more what you can do and how you can articulate and advocate for yourself, then I think we would see a more even distribution across races and gender and different types of backgrounds mm -hmm. in various roles. It, uh, like it's something minute um, and, you know, maybe insignificant as pen testing. I think there it's still predominantly white guys. And I think if you go to roles that are, you know, CEOs of major companies and, you know, global leaders and those things like that, either we believe that men and white men are genetically, positioned to have all of those roles or there is something else systemic mm -hmm. that causes there to be a disparity between population distributions in general and the kinds of roles that people end up in um, that is that is a result of it so I don't necessarily believe that that I or you or anyone else is predisposed to having skill or being advocate, being able to advocate for themselves better than any others. But we certainly see fewer African-Americans and, and, and other uh, women and other uh, types of groups that are, are not as well represented um, as 
you know, white guys. So either it's that white men are better at those things naturally, which I personally don't believe. I don't think you believe either. No, not at or, all. Or there's, um, or there's something else that causes the, the disparity in distribution. And I think that identifying what is the cause of that disparity in distribution and doing something and really good faith effort to do something about it is maybe where I hope we're starting to get as a society by being forced to confront a lot of these things. So here's my question to you. And growing up kind of, like I said, in the multicultural environment, most of my African-American Jamaican friends didn't like computers, didn't want to even go on that. They were more into another path, right? Sure. I mean, now some of them went into a more negative path, you know, all best to them. But then some of them went into like, uh, they wanted to go into sports. They wanted to kind of follow that path because they saw their influence or their leaders to kind of go that. It wasn't really, you know, as much as in the few that did were successful. Like, you know, I have a colleague that I worked with that was played on my soccer team. He's a, a Jamaican guy. He owns his own business and his brother is part of the, the Hertrovic group. He's actually uh, VP of uh, sales, uh, uh, George Frempong, sure. African-American, very successful people. Right. And, but you look at that, they grew up in, in a poverty area, low, but they went to school, they used their skills and they, they, they drove and they got to reach those high echelons sure. of success in what we would consider as cybersecurity. But that became down to the, like I was talking about, their actions and their resilience and then them, their ability to articulate their skills, right? And that's kind of why I said that and it, and it, originally. It wasn't a point where a mm -hmm. white guy could do a, a job, better job than them. They had more drive and they beat out other people that would have been Caucasian, right? They beat them out because they were just more successful in what they knew and they were able to articulate it. So going back to what I was saying, I think when it comes to right. opportunities, especially with cybersecurity, and I, I don't even know the numbers, and this is something you know I love if someone could share that, is how many African-American Jamaican people are actually in computers like and wanting to go. Is it a lower number just because there's less interest? Now, like I mean, look at women, and I'll give that an example. There's more interest for women, and now we're starting to excel where women are starting to become more and more. But when, when, but there, but there are more women in the world than men. <laughs> so I know, but when, when you first kind of look at computers, women weren't really kind of, you know, going to it at first as, as much but as why? men were. Is it just something about naturally being a woman? No, no. Me? I think it was because of society. I think it was because of, yeah, yeah. right. Because yeah, of, because so of education. Right. And I think it was because. Well, yeah. Op opportunities related to education for sure. Well, I wouldn't say opportunities, but education, in the sense of, you know, it's better for you to be a doctor as a woman than being in the computers. Computers is lower, right? Computers is not really kind of a prestige job. Being a, a, a female executive might be more prestigious, right? Than being like a coder, right? So, you know, these better, like not apple to apples, doesn't matter which one it is. But that, but that's what I mean is why would that, why would that affect women more than men? I, I just think, like, and like I said, when I was growing up, I think with when it came to computers, guys were more tangible, their hands-on, were women more intellectual, right? And very dynamic and, and, and emotional of, you know, feelings as well as intellect all together. So they were looking at a lot of bigger pictures. And that's why we have a lot more successful women in executive roles because they can play multiple parts. They can, you know, whereas a lot of times guys are, are unilateral. I think of this, I focus on this, and this is what I do. I think if... I think if we were at a place where, you know, your individual skills and abilities are what determined your, your placement or your opportunities, then I think that we would see 
like if we looked at CEOs in the world and we looked at people who are coders, that we would see an even distribution of, you know, there are 51% women in the world and 49% men. Right. Then, you know, if you took any role, it would, it would match that distribution. Because I think that, um, I, I don't know that me as a, a white guy, I'm genetically predisposed to do anything, you know, over somebody who's Asian or Middle Eastern or, um, or African American or, you know, any other number of things. So For sure. I think that where that's not true, we have to be really diligent about trying to identify the things in society that might contribute to that disparity. And then, you know what, even more personally, like what are the things that I might do personally that are building off of preconceived notions that might not be reality? For sure. Um, so, so I guess I, you know, I'm not doing anything amazing, but I guess I, I want to take more of that personal responsibility to make sure that I'm trying to take any opportunity or success that I might have to use those as opportunities to give a, a voice, uh, uh, you know, more resources and furthering of opportunities to other people that might not have gotten them yet. So right. I know that's something that you, you feel very strongly about as well. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why you do this, this podcast and some other things. Um, and it, yeah, it's just something that I want to continue to, to highlight and accentuate. See, for me, my belief is this, and anyone that's listening to this, you know, we're all humans. That's it. Stop. Like, and it's all about your actions. I don't care. You're woman, female, black, white, Chinese, doesn't matter. We're all humans. Mm -hmm. And it's your actions what gets you to the results, right? And that's to me that all that matters. If you're able to do the actions and you do the drive and you have the passion and you can articulate, you can show, you can demonstrate it, boom, that's what you do, right? And if you're weak in one area, say your soft skills are weak, then that's the one area you work on, right? You go to a right. Tony Robbins course, you do some of that to work on your soft skills and your, your motivation or your 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 technical skills. You do a SANS course, you do a GIAC, you do something like that. All of us now in this day and age have opportunities to learn. Now, some things might be online mm. because maybe your your finances are lower, right? Whatever that may be, or you have to do an e-course, right. like an e-course, whatever that may be, or e-book, whatever. The resources now are there mm-hmm. for people to learn. It's just now your actions, right? You can sure. binge on YouTube for days, right? Yeah, there's a lot out there for sure. Right, and just kind of learn. So I think one, and this is my opinion, and I've heard this you know, with uh, Morgan Freeman and all that, we got to stop identifying people as black, as white, and Chinese, and this, and Mexican, and brown, and all that. They're humans. What do you do? Like, What's your actions? What's your right. passion? What do you want to do? That's what it comes down to. Where do you need help? What do you need to do? You know, and are you passionate? Because it's all, it's the values I have is I, we, it all. I have to look after myself. I have to do the things that are going to help me grow. And then I work with the team of, of tight community that's going to help me. So maybe mentors, maybe books, right. maybe, you know, whatever. It's going to help me grow. And then the all is kind of my, you know, acquaintances and all that that I'm going to work with also. But I have to look at me first and my mental state and what I'm doing. If I'm not passionate about something, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to expect my we community to push me through. If I don't want to be in cybersecurity and and I'm going, well, just Mm -hmm. give me a job. Why? Why am I going to help you? You're not not doing Mm -hmm. the work. You have to do the work and show the effort. So, and this is where I'm saying like, you know, as society, as a whole, as human beings, we got to start looking at people as that way, that we're humans. Doesn't matter, male, female, whatever that may be. Sure. That's what they are. And then just the actions, because there's a lot of like I met some women. I'll use this example of like you know, at uh, networking events, smart at coding, intelligent, 
right? And it's maybe sometimes their soft skills are not to where they're they're kind of nervous about articulating. And that's why, like, I would recommend, like, just work on your soft skills, get, you know, harden up, do Toastmasters, something along that line, just to work on your speaking because you've got great skills here, ma um, marry that together, right. and then you're, you're a force to be reckoned with, right? And it doesn't have nothing to do with that you're a woman. It's just everyone has, you know, skills right. are not good. Like, in, in, to shine the, the light on me, I'm terrible at test taking. You know, when it came to public speaking and do all that, I was terrible at that. But, the, you know, through the test taking, I would study, study, study and make my way through it. Right. And then what happens is then I would really work hard on my soft skills so I could articulate what I learned. I'm a kinesthetic learner. Right? And that took me a long t time to learn that is I actually have to do it. I have to have to mimic it out, work mm. it out pretend I'm, I'm talking to a client, whatever that means. And then I learn right. it like, boom, I got that. You auditorial visual tell me it's in one ear out the other. And I'm looking at you. What did you just say? Huh? <laughs> right. And that's why I was, I wasn't really good at school because you're sitting in a right. classroom. <laughs> you got this talking head at the right. front of the classroom. They're yeah. just talking to you. And I'm seeing uh, like the Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. Until I actually opened the textbook and I would do mm. like math or whatever, or I would do that and then I would learn it and then I'd be okay at right. test taking and you know, seventies, eighties, but it was only until I learned that. And that's like something that would have to be me. And that's what I'm saying. Like each individual is specific on their learning skill, their learning abilities. And that's where you right. have to kind of know thyself. You have to know where your, your assets are and talk to people and, and try like, if you're like, Oh, I think I'm an auditory learning. Okay, here, let's, let's test that out. And you're like, I didn't learn that. Okay, let's, you know, visual. Yeah, okay, hold on. Key static. Okay, okay, I learned. And then you start to learn how you learn. And that's a key. Yeah, I think, Go ahead. I, th I think that, um, you know, committing yourself to learning and, you know, bettering yourself and trying to identify your deficiencies and get better. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's something that people have less experience with than I kind of assumed they would. There are lots of people that maybe don't go about life in that way. But if, if you kind of commit to it and you say, you know, I'm, I'm a work in progress and there are things that I'm good at and things I'm not good at and things that I'll never be good at, but I, you know, getting more in touch with yourself and what your learning style is and what works for you, what doesn't kind of being honest with yourself about where you stand on certain things so that you can do things moving forward that make a difference in the areas that matter to you mm -hmm. and will matter for your opportunities. So getting to that point where you, where you kind of have that view and you can manipulate variables um, is really important. I agree. Yeah. And I think that's essential to know yourself as you're growing in your career, because then you'll know, like you said, and I agree with you, you have to work certain areas you have to work on certain areas. You're like mm -hmm. you excel in, and then you work with those and then you, you get your team together to help you with that. You don't, you don't have to do things by yourself. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. You can reach out to mentors. Uh, a lot of these times, and I'm sure you've experienced this too. If someone's ahead of you, five steps ahead of you, maybe they're a manager and you want to be a manager and you reach out, a lot of these guys will give you your time and just say, Hey, like, what do you need? Yeah. Like that's something I've found among the, what I would consider to be the most successful and well-known people in cybersecurity. One thing that, that I found that's com kind of common among most of them is that they're, they're very willing to spend percentages of their time trying to move other people forward and giving back to the community and speaking about things and mentoring. Um, and I don't think that's by accident. I think one of the ways that you, you actualize and work on yourself is by, being available for other people mm -hmm. and trying to distill your experience down into something that is valuable to other people. So um, like if you want to learn something, the the best way for you to 
learn it is to be able to communicate it to other people. For sure. Um, yeah. And it, it's very hard to get things to land with other people when you're not really solid in what you know. Mm -hmm. But if you can communicate something in a way that is understandable and valuable and useful to another person, then you are probably pretty solid in your underlying understanding of that thing. Right. So, you know, communicating to other people and giving back and trying to create opportunities for others uh, by teaching or mentoring or, or whatever, I think is a, a critical, critical component of the personal growth process. Right. Yeah. You know, I agree. I agree with that. And it's, it's, I think it's essential. Now, something you brought up and it was kind of interesting. Like I was thinking about this, you're talking about like kind of moving forward from a technical role and then what's the next step? Like, you know, I know some people go into speaking, you know, training, mentoring. What do you recommend on that? So like you, we were talking a little bit about mentoring, but how do we move into that type of, you know, role? Yeah. So if you're somebody who's building your your technical skills and you're you're looking for what you want to do after that, I think it's really important to to find community and in, in information security especially. I think there's a really great world out there. There's some negative aspects of it that you probably have to try to stay away from. Um, but if you're you're trying to journey from being an isolated practitioner to being out in the world and maybe speaking to others and maybe mentoring others. I think just getting out there and, you know, going to conferences or local security meetups or, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the stuff is online now um, and, you know, giving talks and, and even just trying to talk about your experience. Um, imposter syndrome is a real thing that most, most of us go through, I think. And there's always this little voice that says, I don't know enough about that yet, or, or I don't have enough knowledge yet, or who wants to hear me talk about this stuff? They'd rather do something else. Um, I think that is an important thing to exercise and push back against. Um, so I think that, you know, in addition to just building your personal skills, okay. getting out in the world and interacting with other people and trying to find your place in a larger whole okay. is a really critical component of it. And eventually that becomes trying to shepherd other people along, trying to create other opportunities for people. Um, and I think that you find in doing that, is, is how you kind of start to take the next step for yourself, even in your own personal journey, is that by becoming outwardly facing, it, it seems counterintuitive, but you actually create more opportunities for yourself. Okay. Okay. And I think one point I'd add to that, uh, being from a marketing background, is that be truthful. Yeah. Be whatever position you are right now, speak on that and speak on your journey. Sure. If you're, if you're studying CISSP, Talk about that. Right. Talk about your journey in that. You don't have to be a CISSP expert of 10 years experience, no. you know, nope. and don't have to give that persona. If you're in the industry or you're just breaking in and you want to do videos and all that, talk about your journey because of course. that's more relatable to people in the industry than someone that I'm an expert in everything. So what? Right. Yeah. Who cares? Right. And I, I know so many people who have developed a lot of content that has done really, really well out in the world that is just their process for organizing the stuff they're learning at that point in time. Right. So maybe it's like a video series about, um, you know, x86 assembly or something like that. And they make an intro video as their way of organizing their knowledge and learning about that thing as they're doing it. Um, and I've seen so many pieces of content that were built in that way that get all kinds of traction that really resonates with people. And I think you're right. It's because it's real and it's that authenticity that allows someone to communicate what they're actually going through to other people that are in the same boat 
at the same time and the same factors matter for other people who are experiencing the same thing. So yeah, absolutely. Be authentic and don't be afraid to be honest about where you are and what you're going through because there are so many more people that are in that same spot than you think. Right. And then here's one thing that anyone that's doing a podcast an audio, video, whatever, don't care about the comments. Don't yeah. <laughs> don't care about the comments. If they're positive, great, respond. If there's right. negative ones, just ignore them and delete them because it's your journey, your process, what you're learning. Right? There's got to right. be a lot of like 90% of people are going to be supportive. There's going to be that 10 that's yeah. going to be a troll or whatever that me. Just ignore it. It doesn't matter. You don't have to respond. And if you feel you do, walk away. Take a 24-hour break, walk away, yeah. and just ignore it because right. what happens is they're baiting you, they're goading you, they're trying to get you into an argument or debate that you just don't have time for. right? And I know that for when I started, right. first started my videos in 2004, I used to have like broad, you know, bright eyes, like, oh my God, I was like in shock constantly. And people would comment that and I'd be like, okay, the ones that are commenting, they were actually giving me feedback and I'd be able to relax in it because I was just so excited about doing videos, right? And then the ones mm. that were negative, I would right. get in these debates with them online. And I'm like, you know, and someone. <laughs> I got to go. I got to go back and find some of those videos and comments of you getting in debates with people. <laughs> and then what happened was I, I'd go through it and go now going back. I'm like, why am I even arguing right. with them? What was the point? Right. right? They just wanted me to get in a That's debate. It. And then I found and then I found later it was like and as I learned this is that it didn't matter. No, you know, the ones that were my true audience the people that were providing value to me and helping me get better were the ones I needed to connect with. Right. So if you guys are doing that and you guys listen to this and you're looking at kind of creating your own podcast, video, whatever that may be, focus on those people because Tim Ferriss said it great. You don't need 10,000 users. You need, you know, 100. Get your 100 to 500 100 to 1,000. rabid fans. Yeah, exactly. And work with them because those are the ones that are going to help you grow and, and help you build. Right. That's a really great point, um, especially for things that are on the internet um, and even live in person. People assume that if they go to a conference and they give a talk and there are 50 people in the audience that, you know, 45 of them are going to be negative and try to tear you down. There are a lot more people out there to support you and that want you to do a great job, even if they don't know you, than it seems like from the start, right? A lot of that that audience of people who are going to try to tear you down and be negative and you know, push your glasses up and say, well, actually to everything you say, a lot of that's in our heads. Uh, there are way, way, way more people out there that are positive and want to support you than it seems like at the outset, but you don't really learn that until you actually start going to do it. And you do it the first time you're like, Hey, that actually went okay. And mm -hmm. everybody was kind of laughing and supporting me and clap. And that, that was good. And then you do it, you know, five, 10 times. And it's like, okay, this is just how it is. Every once in a while, there'll be somebody who's, you know, on their own wavelength and trying to you know, come from a negative spot, but for the most part, people are positive and want you to succeed. Gary Vanderjuk actually uh, provided a great insight on this. If they have taken the time to post a negative comment, they're going through more challenges and more pain than you're going through. Yeah, maybe. Right. Right. right? And I, I, I took that in. I was like, you know what? Watch when people are doing it and they're lashing out. They're probably much more frustrated, upset than you are. And they're just lashing out because things are not going well for them. So right. if you have the empathy for them, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, they're upset. They're kind of sad. That's okay. That That's what they're going yeah. through. I'm going to keep moving on. Patton Oswalt, the comedian, has something on, on Twitter not too long ago where there was someone trolling him in the comments and he went to go to their profile to 
you know, find ways to make fun of them or whatever. And actually saw that the person was going through a really hard time and had some serious stuff going on. So instead of, you know, trying to tear him down, he used it as an opportunity to, well, how can we support this person who's being kind of a jerk to me, but it, they actually are going through some things, some things. So you're hundred percent right. You never know, even when those negative things do happen, you never know what that person's going through and why they're doing what they're doing and where they're coming from. So don't assume that they're malicious, assume that they're a person who's going through their own challenges that maybe you don't understand. Right. I think it's a really great point. And you're just, you're just catching the heat because you're a front and center. You're, yeah. you're the influencer. You're the, you know, the big guy in the, in the stage right now and they just want to get their frustrations out. So, right. and that's some keys to help people as they start out because those are the bottlenecks that a lot of us run into. Right. right. And then lo- there's not a lot of insight. Well, there's more now, but there wasn't a lot of insight when I started to, Oh my God, what do I do when I, when a troll comes out? Now there's more right. insight on that, but it, again, it's still it's still a feeling that we all go through. Originally, is to kind of go, oh my god, so, like ten people watch my video, and this ninth guy, you know, said my video sucks, and you focus on that nine yeah, versus right. the other, you know, other eight eight people. But it's so easy, so easy to do that too. Like you go through, and you know, a hundred people give you a thumbs up, five stars, and then one person says you're terrible and gives you no stars or something like that. So many people focus on that one, <laughs> like that one person that didn't love you and support you. But um, a lot of it has nothing to do with you and you just, you got to move on and not pay attention to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of the questions I had, and I was trying to think about this, especially cause you're in, you're in the pen testing world. You know, how do you build an elite team, you know, and identify the tangible skills? Yeah. Um, so one of the things I think is really valuable that we're trying to do and need to continue to try to do is have creativity and diversity of, of thought. Okay. So if you get, if you have a team of 10 people and they all are from the same background and think the same way and do the same things and, you know, it's not an honest environment where people can disagree, it, it's going to be very difficult for you to do your best work across all things. So we've really tried to find people with varying skill sets and at different phases of their career and create an environment in which it is okay for people to dissent and disagree and recommend something different, even if you are the low person on the totem pole in terms of, you know, how long you've been there or your experience of those kinds of things. So that's, that's really generic that I think um, all teams would benefit from. More specifically to pen testing, it really, for me, it really is about finding people who have that that intellectual curiosity and kind of impatience with things. They want to move forward. They want to go experience lots of different technologies. They want to go and, you know, they see something they don't understand and they don't like move away from it and avoid it, avoid it. They run toward it and want to understand more about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there's lots of process in there and it's, it's not as open-ended and and creative as I'm making it sound, but I think that's the ideal. That's, that's what we want to get to. We want to make it so uh, we can have really different ways of thinking and really creative ways of thinking so that we can find the things that maybe people didn't think about before. And we can find new attack techniques and new vectors that, you know, people who are doing the same things by the book, following the playbook only aren't necessarily going to find. So what, we really try to find people who naturally gravitate toward that kind of thing. Okay. They're not looking for a checklist or a script, although you have to have some of those things. They're really looking for, you know, more give me the boundaries and the world that I can live in and then kind of let me loose and let me go live within that and and I'll show you a path through. So um, we've really tried to accentuate and, and, and hire for those kinds of things. 
Now, would you find when you cultivate that there's like a high potential of growth, and but it's not as expensive? No. Uh, well, I don't know. I guess it depends how you look at it. I think that it can be expensive, and you have to expect it to be as long because you're going to have to invest in people if they don't already have the technical knowledge that you need them to have, but they have lots of the intangibles. Okay. And if you find that they have the intangibles, then you need to fill in the technical gaps. Uh, and lots of times that comes in the form of having to pay for training and, you know, buy equipment and, you know, buy different accounts for them to feed their own curiosity and get certifications and education and these kinds of things. But it pays itself back in their ability to contribute to, you know, engagements and your bottom line and be a part of the team and those kinds of things. So um, it's, it's not necessarily cheap. It can be expensive, okay. um, but the, the reward is there on the other side. If, if you have the right kind of person that wants to take that knowledge and, and turn it around and use it. So the, the reason why I ask that is because with your team of, you know, level of experience and knowledge that you guys have, having the, the ability to mentor, Mm. Right, your your junior staff or people coming in right. might be less expensive, right, and more provide more value because you get the team environment and the culture oh, there sure. versus yeah. having them go out and learning on their own. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there's definitely a balance there. Um, we, we certainly have people that you know, ten years, fifteen years, twenty, twenty five years in the field, and uh, we count on those people to bring along the the newer crop and make sure that you know they're they're staying in in some acceptable lanes and parameters and it's not all, let's just, you know, we'll send you off to some other team and classroom for you to learn it. Um, but it, it's a balance. We do some external stuff and send people off to different trainings, but we also develop lots of our own things internally. And that mentorship component of it that you're describing is so critically important to it uh, because there's some things that you just can't learn without the benefit of experience. Right. So we rely on some of the people who have, who have been doing it longer to fill in those gaps for people who are newer. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Now as an industry, what are some steps we must take, you know, in order to make the progress in, in changing how the average business prioritizes security, especially with the changing industry and what's going on? Yeah. Um, that's a good question <laughs> because security for security's sake um, isn't a thing that's ever going to happen. The average business isn't just going to say, well, this is the more, more secure option. So that's what we're going to do because the security people said so. So um, at the beginning of the conversation of, of our conversation together, we talked a lot about trying to get more to the meat of what the business actually cares about. Mm -hmm. Like what are the things that actually keep you up at night? And let's talk about some ways that people might attack it. And then some ways that we might be able to mitigate those attacks. I think that the, the industry overall has to get away from, hey, we'll do a NESA scan for five grand and we'll give you a report and that's it. And more over to having the in-depth conversations needed to really understand what is important to our clients from a business perspective and come up with creative ways of testing real world vulnerabilities for those things in terms of the kinds of threats that they face, the things that those threat actors might be able to do to engender harm for the business, and then come up with ways to try to mitigate those things. And the more we get the average external or internal pen testing, red teaming uh, team to have those conversations, then I think it is easier to translate the security goals into business goals because the security goals don't matter. Mm -hmm. They matter to me because I'm at a security company, but 
the average organization cares about the business goals. We have to get to a point where we are more closely marrying those things and just the vulnerability of scans because, you know, some regulation said that you need to do a scan quarterly that, that doesn't do it. So, right. um, yeah, I think we need to have more business conversations and have more people working in security that, um, that are eager to have those conversations and not shy away from them. Yeah. And I think that's essential. Like, uh, you know, I want to add on to that is that a lot of sales guys go in looking at product service and solutions, right. And then this is what we're selling versus like you said, which is so essential is understanding your client, their business needs, what they're going through currently right now, and then how right. that can align with what you're providing, right? And I think that's essential mm-hmm. to have that mindset going in is you're more of a consultant. You're, you know, a cybersecurity consultant that provides value and, and to, to learn about the business and learn about their needs first and foremost. When you have that, con- mm-hmm. when you have that conversation yeah, so. up front, right. I think that provides so much more value on the client side because you narrow it down to what they need, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think security is cool again, but I don't think any you know, most businesses are out there going, "How can we spend money on security?" Because Jason thinks it's cool. Um, it, it has to be about you know what, how's it going to serve their business when, goals. When you find that copy, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, and, and just keep building them regularly as often as you can. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now uh, we're kind of coming close to the end. Sure. Was there any other you know topics that you you? wanted to talk about, especially with the industry changing? Um, No, I think we covered a lot. This was a good conversation that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of businesses here. There's a lot of conversations about how to break in the industry and things that you might be able to do. Um, I I guess I would just say it's hard and it's, it's hard at all phases of it. If you're trying to break in, there are difficult parts to it. If you're at the middle of your career and and maybe you're at a company you don't enjoy or trying to take the next step there, there are some challenges there. If you feel like you're later in your career or you've arrived, just wait a little bit and there'll be something that happens to show you that you haven't arrived as much as you think you have. Right. Right. So, um, all of us are struggling with lots of different things about working in security, about trying to, you know, stay professional and relevant and productive in a, in a pandemic. And, and, uh, you know, we're all going through different things. So I think that one thing that I, I really see that that is encouraging is there are more and more people that are willing to talk about what some of their challenges are as they go through them. Mm-hmm. And that can make it a lot easier for people who are going through similar things, but think that other people aren't, and that it's only them and that it's only them who has those challenges. And they're the only person that feels like they're an imposter or they're the only person that doesn't like their day job or, you know, doesn't feel like they're getting enough done. So um, I, I guess I would just say, know that it's not just you. Um, there are other people who are going through whatever you're going through as well. And if you can get there, get to a spot where you're willing to talk about it and you'll find that there are other people that are willing to talk to you about it that are going through the same thing too. So uh, I think that's that's a really important part of finding community and us working together to try to make things better for other people. Sure. Totally agree. And like, I mean, that's such a great point, especially when the hard times through the pandemic right. is make sure you reach out. Like you can, you can get into, you know, points where it's depression and sad and you know maybe you've lost your job whatever that may be but Mm -hmm. connect with your community connect with other colleagues they'll help you out i mean i'll use an example someone reached out to me yesterday just to kind of let me know like how they were doing and they lost their job Mm -hmm. and i was like here check out my feed i've been posting job postings you know constantly just you know to help people out that are looking for work right now so it's Mm -hmm. the community that helps each other for sure yep i agree 
Awesome. No. So Jason, the best way to find you is on your website, uh, pluralsecurity.com. Yeah. So you can find us at pulsarsecurity.com. Um, we're pretty active there. Pulsar Security is pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, I am as well. So if you want me on Twitter, it's chmodx, C-H-M-0-D-X and just Jason Nicola on uh, LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, reach out, chat anytime. I'm, I'm happy to chat with anyone. Okay. So I'll, I'll post that actually in the description. It's pulsarsecurity.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pulsar, said, like I, the, the blinking stars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I said that wrong the first time, but I'll, I'll actually, so you guys can check this out. So it'll be in the description below in the, in the notes. So you guys can check out his, his website as well as the social media. So Jason, cool. thank you so much for your time. This was like very informative, very, very educational. And it's good to see that you're doing well and that, you know, through the pandemic you're, you're thriving. Yeah. You too, Brandon. Thank you. I appreciate it. Awesome guys. So like I said, I'll put everything in the description notes below. Uh, if you guys have any questions for Jason, be sure to reach out anything about security education or even pen testing. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of information. Uh, and just want to remember, remind you guys, don't forget software is hackable being connected is vulnerable. I'll see you next daily cyber. Thank you.